All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Scott, I think you're going to get us started in our discussion today. What are we talking about? Yeah, so we're talking about mythicism today. And uh, the slides we're using here are going to go over more than one angle of it. We're going to focus on just one angle. Uh, we're going to especially focus on the idea, is Jesus just a repeat of a common ancient myth? of dying and rising gods um and so let's let's i'll put some slides here to get us started and we'll see some of the arguments made and then we'll have the panel start rebutting some of these arguments but let, let's open with this somebody read the text for us please from first peter three that's on the screen Sure, it's uh, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. All right. Does that say that you already have to know every answer to every question that anybody's going to ask? I sure hope not. Yeah. What does it say? You guys just comment on this text for a couple of minutes here before we get going. I'll, I'll just say this, um, you know, this is a text we often go to for apologetics, whether it be archaeological or manuscript or science-based uh, evidences, um, but it seems to also point to the, the character of Christians, that if we live the way that we should live, then people will begin to ask questions, and we'll need to say, well, the reason I live this way, the reason I can submit to um, not very nice authorities or to a master or an employer who's not very kind to me. Uh, the reason I can, you know, work in a marriage that's not all that maybe I want it to be is because I believe in Jesus and I, I trust in him. And I say, well, why do you believe in that? And then we can start talking about the reasons I believe. Yeah, right after the submissions that uh, were mentioned, then it says, if you want to live good, uh, a good life and see good days, you know, do what's right. And from the Psalms. And it says, when, when you do that, usually people aren't going to bother you. But if they are, make sure that you're suffering for being a Christian, not like later in the text for being a bad person yourself. But when you live right, it is going to make people wonder. And when they ask, what's a reason that you have hope? You got to be able to give a reason that you have hope. But then if they say, well, I don't believe that because of this. You can just shrug your shoulders and say, well, I don't know. Or you can try to help also answer their questions. Any other comments on this text before we go ahead? Well, what, what it really does in a really broad sense is before you even know what a question might be, um, being able to explain your hope yes. is, is a big deal. Um, even if it's just the Bible says so, and you answer what the Bible says about the hope, that's a massive answer. Um, you don't have to, uh, we don't have to argue about the proof of God. We don't have to argue about the, the, the proof of the text of the Bible. Um, we do need to explain why we have hope. And the Bible story um, 
is the, um, it's it's the best place to start and we might need to say more about why i might believe that there is a god and why i believe that the bible is his supernatural revealed text um, but we, we got to start there let's pursue that if, if you point to what the bible says and you know the bible says it i believe it what if the person says but i don't believe the bible why do you mm -hmm. You should have well, some. Uh, you should have some reasons why you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the most e easiest ways to picture this is if you're talking to a Muslim, and we ask them why they think that Muhammad is a prophet, and they say because the Quran says he is. You know, and then the next question is why do you believe in the Quran? Uh, I know for me personally, uh, why do I believe there's a God? Like Romans one twenty looking at nature, it just screams creator. You know, you, even though you don't see the creator, you can see what he made. And why I believe Jesus is the Christ, of all the miracles done, the biggie seems to be the resurrection. And it was enough to convince Saul, who wanted, to, that was the last thing in the world he wanted to believe. And, and so those are reasons, and different people may have different reasons, but the, for me, those are reasons. Any other comment before we go ahead? It is, uh, I'll just say this, it's, um, I, for a long time, I was uncomfortable talking about things outside the Bible when it comes to our belief in the Bible uh, or our belief in God. Um, and I thought, well, the Bible ought to be enough. You know, just show me where it says in the Bible and that ought to be enough. Um, but I don't think the Bible was ever really meant to work that way. Uh, the, the Bible is a real book, and so it interacts with the real world. In fact, the Bible talks about, like you said, Romans 1, Psalm 19, um, the way that Luke references historical events. You know, and Luke 1 talks about queerness. Um, so just, just some factual, historical, uh, scientific facts the Bible functions within a framework of reality. And so we shouldn't be afraid then to look at the world outside the Bible and see how it comments on the Bible uh, or on the things found in the Bible and how the things in the Bible comment on reality. That should give us some framework to, to accept it as true or false. One, one final thought before we proceed and it ties into that. When Paul goes to Mars Hill, he doesn't quote the Bible at all. He points out, you guys believe in a lot of stuff, and here's an altar where you're saying there's a God you don't know about. Let me tell you about him. And he's not God of this or that. He's God of everything, and you can't reduce him to silver or gold. And he quotes some of their own authors, and then he preaches Christ. In the synagogue of Antioch of Pisidia, there's lots of biblical references and quotations from Hebrew scripture, because he's talking to people who already believe that the Hebrew scriptures are the word of God. And he proceeds to tell them. And when he goes to Berea, he doesn't walk in and say, I'm inspired, believe me. He walks in and he starts quoting from the scriptures. And then what do the Bereans do? They listened and then they- Search the scriptures. To- See if what he said was true. And then many believe. Mm -hmm. So we want to help people. All right. 
So uh, here's some of the, and maybe some of these we'll go over later. Did Jesus exist? A rebuttal of mythicist claims. What about the lost gospels? Aren't the gospels just later legends? Uh, historical evidence on Luke Acts, the resurrection of Christ. Um, did Jesus exist? Why did that disappear? I don't know. Um, I'm going to skip that for a minute. Uh, for, for a lot of mythicists, did he even exist? Um, here's some mythicists you can find on YouTube. Uh, Earl Dougherty, Jesus, neither God nor man. Uh, he's a myth. Richard Carrier, historian, did Jesus even exist? Dean Murdoch's also known as Akira S. Uh, Robert Price, David Fitzgerald, and Zeitgeist, the movie. Um, and these make different arguments. Some of them are Jesus is not, and these are, of course, false, but these are the claims. Jesus is not documented in history. Uh, Richard Carriel says to original believers, Jesus was a celestial mythical being. Uh, the Gospels are all later fiction, not early records. Uh, and then here's what we're going to look at today, that the story of Jesus is a common pagan myth. Um, have we all heard this idea that the gospel is a common pagan myth? Mm -hmm. Heard it before. Yeah, but but uh, can you walk us through it again for our listeners? Yeah. So um, in general, um, these myths, I want to point out a couple of things, and then we're going to show the argument, and then our panel will start re re refuting it. But I want to notice a few things first. These mythicists are in general rejected by mm -hmm. academic historians and scholars, even the unbelievers. Yeah. Um, that's why Doherty says he complains about the haughty dismissal which mainstream bestows upon mythicism. So mainstream there, that's academia, whether conservative Bible believers or liberal agnostics or atheists, mainstream scholarship recognizes that the views that I just described are not good views. There's a lot of nonsense here. It's rejected. But in popular culture, via internet and YouTube, these things are gaining influence. I want to illustrate this. Christ myth theory. 2015 poll conducted by the Church of England, 40% responded that they didn't believe Jesus was a real person. Um, thanks to the internet, they've attracted more attention. Uh, it's become uh, outreaching a larger public via the internet. The Zeitgeist movie that we're about to review raised interest with a larger audience and gave the topic a large coverage on the internet. So even though academics and scholars know this is trash, it's on YouTube and people watch it. Uh, and so Atheist United and Carrier's work has increased the attention of the public. So look here, but people that believe that Jesus was a real person that actually lived. Older people, pretty much everybody believes that. Most people still believe it, but do you see the trend? What's the trend there? And people that, yes, more and more they're believing it. Yeah. yeah, and this is not doubting that Jesus is the Messiah. This is doubting whether or not there, he even existed. In the United Kingdom, a fourth of 18 to 34-year-olds believe he was a mythical or fictional character. So 
let's start reviewing this. We're tonight, this afternoon, sorry, this is a PowerPoint I did at night. We're going to review the, is the story of Jesus a common pagan myth? So is the gospel of Jesus a recycled pagan storyline seen repeatedly before in the myths of Horus and numerous other pagan deities? Uh, any comments before we proceed? Could I just could I kind of summarize, make sure we're on the same page here? So we're we're saying that there are there are supposed historians and academics. I say I use that word supposed just because I don't know what other word to use. I mean, they, they've got college time, they're teachers, professors, but they make the claim that Jesus is just um, a, a a recycled version of like the story of Horus or the story of you know, some other pagan deity um, like death, resurrection, virgin birth, that kind of thing. Is that, that's kind of the idea? That's, that's the version I'm familiar with. Varies. Some of the mythicists are not degree academics. Richard Carrier okay. is. Richard Carrier is a, you know, diploma historian. Uh, some of these guys are just, you know, YouTube personalities. Um, or I shouldn't say YouTube personnel, just people that put together stuff and it's out there. Mm -hmm. Some people would say that there was a Jesus of Nazareth that lived and got crucified, and then a bunch of other things, legend, got stacked on top of it. Okay. Uh, but it's very common for people to hear that the essentials of what Jesus did are repeated ideas, uh, like, for instance, the, the rising and dying gods of if you got any of you guys that are familiar, what's the argument you've heard about rising and dying gods being prevalent in ancient history? Yeah, know, that's, just, that's a common that's a common myth um, that most mythical most collections of myths and stories include somebody who dies and comes back from the dead. That that's the point there. Is, isn't it also just kind of based on the natural order of things, like spring? It's, yes. you know, that's what happens in our natural world. And so yes. we extrapolate that to some mythical, yes. fantastical thing. Yes. Uh, remember how much pagans identified natural things as the gods. Like the god of war is what? Mars. Mm -hmm. You know, they, 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 they would look at planets and make them gods. And they would have, um, they would create idols. They looked around and made a god out of the sun or these different things. And so every year, hey, we're going through it right now. A few weeks ago, the trees looked very, very much alive. What are some of the trees starting to look like now? And by January, February, what's the landscape going to look like? Mm -hmm. Barren. And in spring, what's nature going to do? Resurrect. Come back to life. And so a whole lot of the dying and rising gods of paganism is that nature dies every year and rises again every spring. Mm -hmm. Not that this historical God got stabbed or crucified or stoned and then he rose from the dead, but that this natural order of fall, winter, spring. Go ahead, Justin. So, so in a way, this sounds uh, similar to what we talked about last time, where it was uh, all religions are essentially the same. And, and the point here is, you know, most views, whether it's natural, pagan, 
uh, Greek myths, whatever, they have this life-death kind of transfer. And so Christianity is just one more way of looking at that. But you're saying that there are some people who say, no, Christianity is just a recycled version of yeah. all of that. Okay. So it's similar because it's saying this is the same, but when other people today say, oh yeah, Jesus is great, so is Muhammad, so is you know, uh, Buddha, that's saying it's all equally valid to an extent. This is saying it's all equally invalid. Exactly. It's all mythical nonsense. All right, okay. let's proceed here. Um, so this is Zeitgeist the movie, again, from Wikipedia. This film received almost universal condemnation because as we're gonna see, it's, it's full of nonsense, but it attracted a massive interest from the public. And you'll meet people who, oh, I saw this movie on YouTube and they're wondering about it. They're beginning to doubt. And so here it is. I'm going to sum it up in the next few minutes and then I'll have you guys start analyzing. God's son, the greatest story ever told. This is the son saving man from the cold, blind, predator-filled darkness of night. Without it, the cultures understood crops would not grow. These realities made the sun the most adored object of all time. Likewise, they were also very aware of the stars. This is the cross of the zodiac. The sun, with its life-giving and saving qualities, was personified as a representative of the unseen creator of God. God's sun, the light of the world the savior of humankind. Likewise, the 12 constellations represented places of travel for God's son. This is Horus. He is the sun god of Egypt around 3000 BC. From the ancient hieroglyphics in Egypt, we know much about this solar messiah. For instance, Horus being the sun or the light had an enemy known as Set who is the personification of darkness or night. Horus would win the battle against Set, while in the evening, Set would conquer Horus and send him into the underworld. And that's the daily cycle of the sun going up and the sun going down. Oh, and by the way, what's an eclipse? There's a serpent chasing uh, uh, the sun all the time, and every once in a while he swallows him before he escapes. Broadly speaking, the story of Horus is as follows. Oh, and if anybody just tuned in, what we're saying here is not true. This is a mythicist argument that we're about to rebut. Horus, born on December 25th of a virgin, there was a star in the east. Upon his birth, he was adored by three kings. At the age 12, he was a prodigal child teacher. At the age of 30, he was baptized by a figure known as Anup and thus begun his ministry. He had 12 disciples he traveled about with, performing miracles such as healing the sick and walking on water. After being betrayed by Typhon, Horus was crucified, buried for three days, and resurrected. Uh, any comments so far? We'll re re refute it in a minute, but any comments so far? I mean, just laying it out so far, if you're not to do any research and you're just watching, you see, go, oh, man. Yeah. Wow, it sounds like, you yeah. know, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Krishna, born of a virgin, star in the east, performed miracles, resurrected. Dionysus, born of a virgin, born December 25th, performed miracles, king of kings, Alpha and Omega, resurrected. Mithra, born of a virgin, born on December 25th, 12 disciples performed miracles, dead for three days, resurrected. Sunday worship comes from him. This is 1200 BC before Christ. The fact of the matter is there are numerous saviors from different periods from all over the world who subscribe to these general characteristics. The question remains why these attributes? Why the virgin birth on December 25th? Why dead for three days in inevitable resurrection? Why 12 disciples or followers? To find out, let's examine the most recent of the solar messiahs, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, December 25th in Bethlehem. Again, if you're just tuning in, this is not what we're teaching. This is a claim that we're about to review and rebut. Birth announced by a star in the east, which through the three kings or magi, he was a child teacher at age 12. At age 30, he was baptized by John the Baptist and began his ministry. He had 12 disciples. He traveled about with performing miracles, such as healing the sick, walking on water, raising the dead. He's known as King of Kings, the Son of God, the light of the world, the Alpha Omega, the Lamb of God, and many others. After being betrayed by his disciples, Jesus and sold for 30 pieces of silver, he was crucified, placed in a tomb, and after three days was resurrected and ascended into heaven. So, according to this movie Zeitgeist, he, like Horus, and a host of other uh, pagan deities, Born of a virgin, born December 25th, star in these 12 stops, four miracles, dead for three days, resurrected. First of all, the birth sequence is completely astrological. The star in the east is Sirius, the brightest star in the night sky, which on December 24th aligns with the three brightest stars in Orion's belt. Does anybody know what those three stars are called? Left, middle, and right. The three kings. Mm -hmm. all, and so the three kings all point to the place of the sunrise on the sun rise on December 25th. This is why the three kings follow the star in the east in order to locate the sunrise, the birth of the sun. So there's God's son, there's Sirius, and there's the three kings. Pretty impressive. Uh, but all nonsense. From the summer solstice to the winter solstice, the sun appears to move south and get smaller and more scarce. The shortening of the days and expiration of the crops when approaching the winter solstice symbolized the process of death. To the ancients, it was the death of the sun. The sun stops moving south, at least perceivably, for three days. During the three days pause, the sun resides in the vicinity of the Southern Cross or Crux constellation. After this time on December 25th, the sun moves one degree this time north, foreshadowing longer days warmth than spring. And thus it was said the sun died on a cross, was dead for three days only to be resurrected or born again. This is why Jesus and numerous other sun gods, according to this uh, YouTube uh, film, Zeitgeist, share the crucifixion, three-day death, and resurrection concept. It's the sun's transition period before it shifts back its direction into the northern hemisphere, bringing spring and salvation. They are simply the 12 constellations of the zodiac, and there's your 12 disciples. 
Coming back to the cross of Zodiac, the figurative life of the sun, this was not just an artistic expression. In shorthand, it would look like this. This is not a symbol of Christianity. It's a pagan adaptation of the cross of the Zodiac. And looky there, looky there, looky there. This is why Jesus in earlier cult art had always shown with the, his head on the cross for Jesus is the son. The son of God, the light of the world, the risen savior who will come again as it does every morning and can be seen coming in the clouds. So was Jesus just a son God like Horus and other solar deities. We will start with, and this is where I'll bring the panel in, argue, the, the premise kind of starts with God's son. Jonathan? Yeah, so that seems to be kind of one of the primary arguments or primary things that this whole thing is based on that, look, um, it, it's like people just got it confused with the solar sun and a child's son. And that maybe makes sense in English, um, but just because an English word shares a common word, common other English word, it doesn't mean that that is true across other languages. Um, the word for the word for sun in Greek for the solar sun is much different than the you know familial sun, um, and and in other languages as well. So you know, um, I don't know that kind of breaks down once you get outside of yeah. the English language. This, this argument would do no good uh, if you're not talking about English. Um, if there was no English language, this, this would be really fail. So let's uh, take a look here to illustrate what Jonathan just said. Uh, in English, sun and sun sound the same. In Greek, no, they don't. Now, somebody might say, hey, they both end with OS so, or IOS. Uh, why is that not impressive? Rhymes exist. Uh, rhymes exist. Also, what what is the OS on the end of any masculine uh, noun in Greek? Just the masculine end. Yeah, that's just the nominative case. So if you're, that's that's how we refer to the, Greek has masculine, neuter, and feminine. Uh, feminine ends with a masculine ends with os in the nominative case and it, it depends on where it is in the sentence but so ignore the os and don't think well it's kind of the same no they all have that so he these are two different words and in aramaic shemesh is the thing in the sky and bar is the your your son and in hebrew shemesh is the thing in the sky and bin uh is like uh been Hadad. Yeah, so to say, see, worshiping the sun is actually worshiping the sun. That sounds clever in English, but in Aramaic, oh, look, you're worshiping the bar. See, Shemesh bar? No, not the same thing. All right, how about this one? December 25th. All well, these, go ahead. Well, just Christian doctrine points to December 25th as being a great birthday for Jesus, but the, the Christian text says nothing about it one way or the other. Um, 
And, and so you can point to church teachings, but if the argument is about what the early Christians were doing, you can look at what the early Christians wrote about. And none of them ever wrote or spoke about that date, made yeah. no significance to them at all. Yeah. Is there any evidence at all that Jesus was born on December 25th? No more than any other day in the year. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus, there's no evidence Jesus was born on December 5th. The Bible never said this. So here we want us to understand the difference between the story of Jesus in first century AD and what the Roman church is saying in the fourth century AD and later. These are two very, very different things. The Roman church, as it developed, it's a casserole made up of different things, partly things from the New Testament. So, for example, Jesus died on the cross. Partly things from, as the Roman church developed even past the 4th century, 5th century, 6th century, 7th century, they're borrowing from the Roman Empire. So the Pope is the pontiff and the um what is it maximus um oh, i forgot pontificus maximus. pontificus maximus yeah both of those are titles of the caesar you know they they, they borrowed this the the see the roman empire structure they also borrowed from judaism and they also borrowed from paganism so paganism infiltrates the roman church thus in fact here pagan element in the names of the saints. In the fourth century, conversion came to be collective and political. And so the pagans before had different gods for different things. And so that gets attributed to the saints. So you had, you could petition different departmental gods. So that comes into the Roman churches. You can petition different saints. Uh, you had sky goddesses and mother deities from paganism. So that becomes what in the Roman church? You were, you were a pagan and you're used oh, to have the Virgin Mary. Yeah, the Virgin Mary. Uh, and solstice was a big deal in paganism. So that becomes Christmas. By the fourth century, Christian churches settled on celebrating Christmas on December 21st, 5th, which allowed them to incorporate the holiday with Saturnalia and other popular pagan midwinter traditions. They had a pagan celebration of solstice. And so they say, oh, well, we'll just make this Jesus's birthday. Later infestation does not original or equal origination. For example, is it possible that this exists in your house? Yep. Does that mean your house was built by a mouse? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that means you built the house and later something infested it. So when you look centuries later and paganism has infested Christianity, that's not the origin of Christianity. That's a later infestation. Any comments on that for Joy? Well, this is interesting because one of the strongest arguments um, that people make uh, against um, Christ being the God, I mean, some people are going to deny that he, that he was ever a person uh, uh, of historical, that, that who lived. But um, one argument is that um, he was a man and he was a prophet and he was a decent guy. And then later on, people... Um, infested the, um, themselves with with uh, myths about him being God. Uh, and um, what what we need to do is when we are, if, if we're reading 
the early texts of Christians, whether it's the scriptures themselves, and then there's also lots of early writings by Christians um, that aren't a part of scripture, but they're, 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 some of them are um, within 50 years or 100 years of the original yep. Bible writings. Um, you can you can look into what it was that, that these people believed and were they making these things up or were they adding them into? And you can look at those early writings and discover that uh, the sun-god connection and the, the solstice connection and all those things that you're pointing out, Scott, were not a part of um, the, the early church writers, commonly called the church fathers because they're the, the earliest um, people who are writing uh, Christian texts outside of the holy scriptures. You can read those texts and realize that th they did not include all these other um, mythical um, ideas uh, that the people around them held. And as time goes by, some of these church fathers have imbibed some of this pagan mixing in. So they'll end up defending some things that involve paganism, but not because it's from the original scriptures or the life of Christ. Just well, and but just that brings brings up the point that Christianity didn't spring from paganism. It was a, it was adopted by pagans. It was right. um, there there were pagans who were converted, um, obviously. I mean, just over time, but but it didn't come from paganism. It came from Judaism, and there's nothing in Judaism that that allows for any kind of borrowing from Egyptian myths or Greek myths. So you've got 12 Jewish dudes who are supposed to be enamored with the story of Horus or uh, Ceres or whoever, and say, yeah, we'll, we'll make up a hero out of, I mean, they, they, would have been, they would have been killed on the spot. It would not have taken off amongst the Jews. And we're going to see, as Justin just said, when we look back at the Hebrew scriptures, it said, don't be looking at the sun and impressed to that and worshiping that type of thing. All right. Very good. Let's proceed here. Um, all right. Um, what about the three kings? Uh, let's see, I got to move something here. All right. Just like December 25th, um, this, these, this thing up here, these stars, um, uh, well, this chart isn't making sense, so let me just go ahead. These stars were not called the three kings in the Bible, and they were not called the three kings by people outside of the Bible during the time of the Bible. Chicken or the egg, which came first? The three kings in the Bible story came, or the three wise men, not kings. They're not called kings. Uh, well, yeah, that's not in the Bible. Um, the the name of these stars comes from the bible so here we go nineplanets.org uh sometimes known as the three kings it is a direct reference to the biblical tale of three kings who offered gifts to the baby christ so we've got some anachronism here what about the solstice uh so the sun the you know shines the earth receives the sun and the earth tilts and so at different times you've got different angles of the sun winter solstice is around december 21st 2nd and the sun does get during that time instead of it when it's warm the sun's way up there at december 21st 22nd it's rather low on the horizon what the bible says about the sun though is god said let there be lights and let them be for signs seasons days or years not for worship and he made the greater light to rule the day, lesser light to rule the night. Deuteronomy, beware lest you raise your eyes of the heaven when you see the sun and moon and stars, all the hosts of heaven, 
that you and you be drawn away and bow down to them. Don't do that. Uh, Deuteronomy, uh, evil worshiping other gods or the sun or the moon, which I've forbidden. Josiah commanded to bring out the vessels that had been corrupting there and the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. He burnt those chariots of the sun with fire. Jeremiah, don't learn the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them. Don't do that. Uh, Jesus says, your father makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He's not talking about himself there. He's talking about that big star that we've got. All right. What about the sun god Horus? Let's see here. I'm going to go through this real fast. Horus, fact check. Was Horus a sun god? Was he born on December 25th to a virgin, crucified, dead for three days, and resurrected? It's a little complicated. So we're going to, there's a Horus the elder. And there's a Horus the Younger, so it gets a little hairy. Uh, but we're going to go through Egyptian mythology 101 here. In the beginning, there was water in Egyptian mythology. And out of noon, chaos, the primordial sea in which lay the germ of all things being, came Ra, the sun god, Atum, Ra, the sun god. And he has Shu, which is air, and Tefnut, which is moisture. They beget... Ra's grandchildren, Nut and Geb. Geb is the earth, earth god. Nut is the sky god. And Geb and Nut are wanting to cohabitate and procreate and have children. Uh, but uh, Ra sends Shu, air in, to separate Nut and keep her away from Geb. And he puts a curse on Nut that she cannot deliver in any one of the 12 months. In other words, it's like, here's when you can have a baby. Never is what the sun god says. All right, now we get a mischievous being comes in and starts causing trouble. Thoth is gambling with the moon and he wins. And for winning, he asks for five extra days on the calendar. And they're not part of this 12 month thing. So now Nut and Geb can get together and they begat uh, children. They have five gods. And you've got here, one of them is Horus the Elder. Everybody with us so far? Really weird, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it gets weird. Um, so now you've got these different gods that he's tried to keep them from it. Uh, remember Thoth gambled with the moon, got the extra five days. And so you get all these gods among them are Osiris and Isis, again, brother and sister, and they're in, they will be, this Horus is uncle to Horus the child. So there's Horus the elder. Horus the child will be the offspring of number one and number four, which are again, a pair of siblings descended for, so you got a lot of incest here in the pagan, uh, in uh, Egyptian gods here. And they are in love and there's Isis and there's Osiris. So uh, do, 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 do. All right, but there's somebody trying to interfere with this, and that is Seth, Set, and he is, he's a bad guy, and he throws a party or something, and he builds this elaborate uh, box, and it's made to fit, or Osiris, he says, hey, lay in it and see if it fits, and Osiris says, okay, so he lays down in it, and then Seth slams the lid shut, seals it, and sends it off into the Nile, 
to get rid of him. This makes Isis very, very sad, and she's brokenhearted, and she's looking for him. Uh, and Set also takes Osiris and chops him up into 14 pieces and sends them out away so that it'll make it harder for Isis to be able to collect them again and, and have him put back together. Would seem like it would work, right? But Isis is a determined lover and she flies around till she finds, anybody happen to know how many parts she finds? 12? 13. Uh -huh. uh, anybody want to guess what part she doesn't find? Oh, yeah, I know this, I know this. Um... I'm sad I know this, but she she will will not mention the part that yeah missing. she she can't find what is necessary for procreation. There you go. So she finds him with less one part. So then she creates, she manufactures and produces the part that's missing, and then cohabits with him. All right. So she revives him. She waves her wings over him, revives him, conceives by him, and uh has has this child all right so they then he will be uh, and but then osiris goes on to become the god of the underworld he's not a human being walking around here on earth now he's god of the underworld so there's osiris there's isis and there is horus the child and what time is it 242 all right let's see if we can get a little bit more um so there's the family uh he's now god of the underworld uh, she cohabited with him, had Horus the Younger, or two in Plutarch, and then he's now the sun god, and he conquers Set Darkness every day. He comes up, he rises, and then he goes down, and Set wins for a while, but then Horus comes back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's defeating him every day. So is he a sun god born December 23rd to a virgin crucifix, etc.? Let's start going through it one by one. All right, on the first one, Horus the Elder, is he born of a virgin? No. Uh, it talks about here when Nut became pregnant by Geb at the beginning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then she's able to give birth. That's These aren't virgin births here. And so, and if you want to look at Plutarch here, um, you know, this is the story in Plutarch. Also, by the way, and we changed these names, to the, the mythical god names, by the way, and the birthday is not in December 24th. Oh, yeah the intercourse and the birthday is actually not then, but August or September. So it's not December 25th either for Horace the older, right? What about Horace the child? Is he born of a virgin? Well, that's the one where she gathers up 13 pieces of her chopped up husband and is missing one. But then she consor he consorted with her and became the child. Um, she didn't find the male member, and so she made a replica to take its place and was able to procreate. So is that a virgin birth? No, still not a virgin birth. Was he crucified? This is one of the mythicists. Notice what she admits. Was Horace crucified? Much confusion concerning this subject because many people erroneously believe the contention that Horace or Osiris were killed by a crucifixion, as allegedly happened to Jesus. In actuality, the most common myths concerning the death of Osiris or Horus are that the former was rent to pieces while the later was stung by a scorpion. Do either of those sound like crucifixion? Nope. Nope. Unless you're trying to make the stretch. <laughs> well, then there's, there's the loophole. Um, so how do you get the crucifixion? Horus, as the hawk, 
with his wings or arms outstretched, reflects his role as the sun god crossing over the sky. And so, as I say in Christ in Egypt, the significance of asserting the sun god to be crucified, it's not that his myth is imitated exactly in the gospel, but that he is revered pre-Christian god on a cross. So here's the arms outstretched of the hawk crossing over the sky. So, yeah, not exactly. Comments? Uh, just one one thing to, I don't know if you're going to get to this, the, the virgin idea. Um, well, I had read that the, she is later, I said, the, the Greeks borrowed some of the Egyptian gods. And so later she becomes synonymous with a, a virgin goddess in, in Greece, but that's, that's after all of this. So it's, if you want to, you can look through all this and try to find connections, but it's kind of like the conspiracy theorists with all the newspaper clippings on the wall and the pictures and the red strings trying to make things match. And instead of just reading the story, if you go back to the original texts in these, these myths, okay. it doesn't sound like the Jesus story at all, but you can kind of try to make it fit. Yeah, and even the facts as you go through was not, it wasn't December 25th. It wasn't a virgin birth. There wasn't a crucifixion. You know, and this is why scholars and academics, when they see these arguments, they, you know, in this movie, when it came out, it was utterly rejected because this is trash. This is, this is not real, it's made up. But when it's on YouTube, and a college kid or a housewife or a grandpa or whoever is watching it and they're like oh wow and that's out there and people keep watching it damn and then john well one one thing that i think is important to realize is just just how little critical thinking is involved um but uh, most of the time um if if we spend if we spend a day without reading anything, and if the only thing that we read was a blog online, uh, we're not spending our day using our critical thinking skills. Um, if we're playing video games and watching the news, we're not out looking at the sky and looking at trees and observing what's around us and, and being mindful of, you know, wh what is it that, what is this world that I live in? One um, review that I was watching on YouTube, somebody had watched the movie and they were reflecting on it, talked about that the, that the movie was divided into three parts. Now the verse, this first part is what, what you've been talking about, Scott, this, this explanation of world religions and world belief, um, somehow uh, trying to explain what human beings have believed for millennium in, in, in just the first third of a movie and how essentially everyone has always believed the same ideas. Uh, the reviewer made a, a massive distinction between that section of the movie, movie and then what he considered the rest of the movie to be just conspiracy theories and the kind of things that you would hear from your crazy uncle when you visit him on the weekend. And what was really striking to me was that um, somebody could um, readily reject 9-11 was an inside job as a conspiracy theory, but be willing to assume that statements by the same person, uh, that by the same movie, uh, 
contrary to the Bible, um, had some bearing and had some standing. I think that really speaks to what it is that we want to hear, what it is that we want to agree with uh, to begin with as, as human beings. Um, and I have, I have opinions about the Bible, and I have opinions about religion, and I have opinions about conspiracy theories. And that's going to be the basis of how I interpret what I hear from other people. We just need to be better critical thinkers and realize that if two-thirds of a movie is bad, there's a decent chance that the first third was also bad, but still take the time to think about it. It's horrible. Uh, there's, some, there's some cleverness and there's some, just some lies, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's put together. I shouldn't say cleverness, but it, it, it's put together in an imaginative way, to, like a con artist is clever. If you're talking to somebody that doesn't know anything and they're not going to check the facts, you know, somebody can fall for this. All right, let's wind up with this. And um, so, yeah, not exactly. We'll put there uh, the understatement of the year. Uh, so we reviewed there the zeitgeist. On another time, not next week, uh, probably we'll give it a break for a while. But another time, I want to look at Richard Carrier and David Fitzgerald. Uh, maybe Earl Doherty, some of these other mythicists um, and, and that type of thing. But for today, we've taken care of this, uh, this nonsense that the story of Jesus is just a common pagan myth. Final thoughts? Yeah, and I just wanted to say, too, one thing that comes to my mind um, is the proverb, Proverbs eighteen seventeen: the first to state his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Um, you know, you're watching that film for the first time and you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> like I didn't know all that stuff. And then you start looking into it and you're like, wait, that's not really true. <laughs> um, and that's just an important thing for us to do with anything of uh, not just, you know, be spoon fed all of your facts, um, quote unquote facts, but go and examine them, question them, see um, and, and develop your faith in things. Um, so. Um, thank you guys for your discussion today. Thank you, Scott, for uh, taking us through that a little bit. To our audience, if you have more questions uh, about that particular topic or anything else we've discussed today, then you can visit our website, BibleQuest.tv, and you can ask us your questions there. We'll be happy to talk about those in future shows or anything else you'd like us to discuss in the scriptures. We're happy to hear from you guys, and we want to talk about what you want to talk about. So uh, that's all that we have for this week, and so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week. Lord willing.